The Old Testament reading is uh, from Psalm 116, verses verses 12 through 19, and it's on page 609 in your pew Bibles. What shall I return to the Lord for all his goodness to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his faithful servants Truly, I am your servant, Lord. I serve you just as my mother did. You have freed me from my chains. I will sacrifice a thank offering to you and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the house of the Lord in the midst, in your midst, Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. The New Testament reading is from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 17 through 24, 34, I thought that might be the case. It is on page 1150 in your pew Bible. In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent, I believe it. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. So then when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat, for when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result... One person remains hungry, and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it, in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, 
you proclaim, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if you were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. Anyone who is hungry should eat something at home so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. And when I come, I will give further directions. This is the word of the Lord. I didn't know my uh, drawing from last week is up here. <laughs> it's just a ha- bunch of happy people in the kingdom of God. Uh, <laughs> um, good morning, everyone. Uh, that's a tough passage, hey? Um, when uh, Tony and I lived in Vancouver, um, we went to seminary out there. We had a friend named Maria who went to our church. Um, she must have been in her 80s when we knew her. And she was just so sweet. She was um, quite a small person with cropped white hair and a really quiet, gentle voice. Um, and when my grandmother died, who was the only person that I knew of who prayed for me regularly, Maria took up her mantle and prayed for me every day. Um, I was just—I was so grateful, and it was so kind. Despite uh, coming to church regularly and being faithful in her prayers, Maria never took communion. She said that she never felt like she was worthy. Isn't that sad? My guess is that she had been warned by a very common interpretation of the passage that you just heard, um, which I think takes one chunk out of it without considering the whole thing. Like if you read the... The verses just 27 through 29, it's pretty intense. So then, whoever eats the bread, eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of our Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink the cup. For those who eat the bread and drink the cup without the discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. Um, the King James Version makes it even a little more confusing. Instead of saying eating and drinking in an unworthy manner, the King James says, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord unworthily will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of our Lord. And so Maria never took communion because she never felt worthy. That breaks my heart. Jesus always went to the ones who weren't deemed worthy 
for whatever reason, he would have welcomed Maria to his table. His life and his death and his resurrection call her worthy. But Maria's concern is actually pretty common. Um, communion is often associated with like, a really deep sense of guilt and unworthiness, and that makes some sense, right? In communion, we partake in the body and blood of Jesus. We participate in Jesus' death for our forgiveness. Like if you've ever been forgiven by another person after doing something that really harmed them, you probably know how painful it feels to receive that forgiveness. Of hearing someone you love say to you, you hurt me. But I'm going to bear that pain. I'm not going to try and give it back to you, and I'm not going to hold it against you. I forgive you. It's really tough to receive that. It actually, like for me, makes me want to, like I have this impulse to be like, no, like I'll fix it. I can make up for it. I don't want your forgiveness. It's too uncomfortable. Um, In communion, we are accepting the pain of God's forgiveness, Christ's own body on the cross. And it makes sense that we would have the impulse to say, I'm not worthy. And yet, if you've ever been on the forgiving side of a relationship, if you've ever truly forgiven someone, you probably, you know, don't want them to do the same harmful thing again. You might want them to change in some way but it doesn't help if they wallow in their guilt, right? You want them to receive what you are giving and to move forward. Receiving communion is part of the work of accepting what God has done on your behalf, which is everything, and then moving into the joy that has been given to you in this gift, the freedom of grace. And so we confess our sins to God. You know, we do it each Sunday and hopefully throughout the week. But we do it as those who know that God's forgiveness is not begrudging. It does not require us to grovel and beg or to earn earn it somehow. Because God has delighted to give it to you freely. For the joy set before him, Christ endured the cross. God has done everything to reconcile us to God's self. And so we can rejoice in receiving that gift, knowing that it doesn't depend on us, but on the love and mercy of our God that never fails. If nothing else, Jesus' death means that you are worthy. Worthy of God choosing to endure a death like that. For the joy set before him. And that joy is you. What's happening in our text today is actually quite something is actually something quite different than all of that. Um, it's not so much about the individuals and what they're doing and their personal sin levels. Um, it's about how the community is practicing their faith together. That's why it's better to read a whole book of the Bible or to at least read a whole passage than pulling one or two verses out of context. 
At the beginning of what we read this morning, Paul says that the Corinthian church's gatherings are doing more harm than good, and he explains why. When the Corinthian church gathered, they ate a meal together at which they celebrated communion. But in that very meal that united them together as the body of Christ, they were emphasizing the divisions between them, drawing the dividing lines between them even darker. Like you see the the contradiction in what they're doing. Jesus' death reconciled us to God and to one another, but they are partaking in Jesus' death in a way that is not reconciliation, but further division. And so you can see why Paul says they're sinning against the body and blood of Christ. They're moving in the opposite direction of it. Instead of those elements proclaiming reconciliation, that they are one in Christ, their way of doing communion is serving to uphold and highlight the class divisions of their larger culture. In their celebration, they are failing to proclaim the gospel and they are being harmful, Paul says, do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? It reminds me of passages like Isaiah 58 and Amos 5, in which the prophets cry out against worship when it does not come hand in hand with justice. God doesn't want us to just sing catchy songs or have a great liturgy or feel all the wonderful religious feels. God wants justice to roll on like a river and righteousness like a never-failing stream. That's Amos. But what's happening in Corinth is the same old thing that happened in the broader Greco-Roman world. There are deep and structured class systems in Corinth, dividing between wealth and land ownership and position and gender. It is not uncommon for wealthier people to eat. It is not uncommon for wealthier pe- people to eat at, together at a table in the dining room while others ate in a different room. Um, seats at that same table would often be assigned based on class, and people at that same table might even be served different meals on the same basis. It seems like the Corinthian church brought those practices into their communion meal so that the rich people were glutting themselves and the poor people were leaving hungry. And you can imagine a wealthy host, right? The the church would have been hosted in the home of a wealthier person. You can imagine the wealthier host saying things like, well, wouldn't it make the lower guests feel uncomfortable to eat at the table with us? Or like, to eat this kind of food, they're not used to it. Or maybe they just couldn't even imagine a different way of doing it. This is just what we do. But the church is not about baptizing the status quo. It is about proclaiming a new kingdom and filling us with the imagination of that kingdom. And so Paul invites them to discern the body of Christ, to think about what that body is, what exactly are we doing here. In Colossians, he will say, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. All these dividing lines have been broken down because you are all one in Christ Jesus. There are no second-class citizens in the kingdom of God. 
All are one in Christ Jesus, and that is a significant challenge to any class-conscious society, whether it is the ancient Greco-Roman world or the contemporary United States. Communion proclaims the gospel that all are welcome, that all are worthy, and that that is true because of the goodness and grace of God, not because of anything that we think we do or achieve. No matter what the broader culture thinks that we deserve or don't, all are one in Christ Jesus. Um, at Sherman, we have uh, celebrated communion in stations and in circles, and there are like good things and bad things about each way. Um, but one thing that I like about the circles is that you get to see others as we participate, right? Like you can watch across the circle about who, uh, as people participate in the body and blood of Jesus. You get to see those you know and those you don't, those who are like you and those who are not. And it's clear that you are all receiving this gift together because you can see who else is in the circle. Of course, you can also see who is not in the circle. Sherman is a great church, I think, but we're mostly a uniform community. Not all of us, and I don't, I'm hesitant to talk about this because I don't want to ostracize anyone in talking about it, but I think it's important. Um, but looking over the crowd, uh, I mostly see middle-class, white, straight, cis, young families, right? And there's nothing wrong with that. That's okay. But it's also true that we're not a very good representation of the body of Christ, even the body of Christ as it exists in our neighborhood. For us, Paul's call to discern the body when we take communion may mean recognizing that this body is not the whole body of Christ. I mean, of course it couldn't be. But, but, it ask, but we are called, I think, to ask ourselves, why does the body of Christ, that is Sherman Street, look this way and not another way? And I think that very discerning has led many of us to grapple with the fact that racism is alive and well in the United States, in Grand Rapids, throughout the city. I'm not just talking about here. But our makeup is a part of that larger injustice. That's where it comes from, right? This has been perpetuated for hundreds of years and still today. And Grand Rapids is something like the second most segregated city in the country. And our Sunday mornings reflect it. Discerning the body calls us to work to dismantle racism in our own hearts and in the larger society. Not so that the white people, like me, can feel better because I can look out and see more black and brown bodies among us. That would be great, right? But that's not the goal. The goal is justice. And maybe justice will change the church. That same discernment will lead us to continue to grapple with the harm that the larger church, including us here at Sherman Street, has caused LGBTQ plus people. And how many of them have not experienced the love of Christ from the body of Christ. 
So while we are so grateful for the members of those communities who find home in our community, we also grieve that many will never enter a church again for the harm that they have known. And that, you know, Jeff Chu, who we heard preach here before, a married gay man, he's written a book called, Does Jesus Really Love Me? Because that question is alive and well in the hearts of so many LGBTQ plus people, and shouldn't it be settled? That discerning of the body will lead us to grapple with a general societal tendency to value people who, have, who do not have visible disabilities over those who do, to shun and exclude those. It calls me with disability, it calls me to remember again how difficult our building is for anyone with a physical disability, right? Like, it's quite ostracizing. You cannot get back there except by coming through here. So if you're late for church, this is your entrance. Let alone trying to participate in something in Middle Earth, uh, in which case you would have to come in here and go downstairs and go across the basement and come up a like large wheelchair thing up into the stairs. It's lovely that there's accommodations, but it's not great, right? Um, there's a young girl who'd like to participate in our youth group, uh, but youth is often in the upper room. There's no access there. So we're having that conversation, but this is what discerning the body looks like. I hope, too, that discerning the body will lead us to grapple with the stark inequality in our society which means that many of us in this room know very few, if any, people who live in poverty, let alone seeing them across the communion circle and watching communion overcome that division. Who is missing in our communion? What else do you see across the circle? that doesn't mean that we should not take communion. Like, don't take this as like a, don't come forward today. <laughs> um, but when we discern the body, our communion calls us to more. Lent is actually the perfect time to talk about this in its call to Repentance. To participate in the body and blood of our king is to participate in God's kingdom. Where the first are last. Where if you want to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, you have to become the least. Where the king of all, despite having armies of angels at his fingertips, chose to lay down and die in order to lift us up. In order to make a place at his table for even the greatest of sinners. This meal that we'll celebrate. I'm just gonna. This meal is a meal that declares the worthiness of every person made in the image of God, of every person for whom Christ died, which is everyone. It declares the worthiness of my friend Maria and of each of you 
and me, and of every skin tone and social status, of every gender identity and sexual preference, of every ability and disability, of every level of employment and lack of employment, of all of us. And it invites us to live in accordance with that worthiness. May we honor our good king who gave us his body and his blood. May we receive his gifts with joy. May we discern the body of Christ and out of our worship, may justice roll down. Please pray with me. Lord God, we confess to you how in so many ways we are still longing for your kingdom and also still participating in the kingdoms of this world. Your kingdom come, Jesus. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.